my name is um, Colin King. My psychiatric history is that I went to school and I was diagnosed as being education subnormal back in the 70s. And that was the first escalator into being similarly being misdiagnosed in the mental health system with uh, schizophrenia. So I was locked in mortally, overtly medicated uh, on a number of occasions, restrained and violated and abused inside the system. And I've had four, several missions from then. I made this sort of kind of paradoxical transition to become a mental health practitioner, an approved mental health practitioner, commissioner, teacher. So I have lived experience of both sides of the institution of mental health or mental disorder. I'm a research activist at the moment, and I work with several organizations, Whiteness and Racial Equality Network, the PCREF, which is about developing new racialized frameworks for communities that have experienced discrimination historically in the mental health system. I'm a writer, I'm trying to author a book as well, and I'm a father of two young children, both have mental health related problems, one of them is unfortunately in the system at the moment. It's interesting that we're talking about this conference, this personality disorders conference that's going to happen in a few weeks time. So you said educationally subnormal. That's kind of about as stigmatizing a term as you can get to be labeled with. I guess personality disorder in many ways is a very similar sort of label, isn't it? It's sort of saying the problem is with you. You've got a disordered personality. Um, I'm interested in you just telling us a little bit more about how you ended up doing what you're currently doing from that sort of period of growing up. How did you end up in this current role? So I grew up in South London, Peckham, which is a hugely complex, multiracial, diverse area. I ended up in the criminal justice system, and then I spent some time in a remand centre, and I was diagnosed, um, which I called the job description of madness, because reflect, it reflects madness within the system itself. Um, and it was like a... It was like a choice whether it's personality disorder or schizophrenia. Um, and then I was discharged after somebody tried to violate me. Um, I've used those experiences um, to become a qualified social worker. And then I became uh, an approved mental health practitioner. I tried to commit suicide because I realised I was sectioning people when there was no underlying mental disorder or personality disorder or schizophrenic psychosis. Um, expressed in any symptoms at all. I realised a lot of these things were the product of a racialized racist system in the way it was responding to people with diversity and differences. And there, were, there was a failure to actually understand the values that practitioners or clinicians were bringing to the assessment framework. And so I was really concerned that we needed some sort of political advocate um, response to challenging practitioners uh, from the service user's perspective. And so I moved away from being a practitioner to moving into researching the industry, researching the idiosyncratic ways in which people were carrying out um, a mental health assessment, but also challenging the historical diagnostic framework that will lead into patterns that can come to be institutionalised, particularly for outcomes, particularly for black men. Um, and then I actually decided to write several articles for Lancet Psychiatry on these issues. 
then I just thought that it was really important that for us to begin to challenge, address and redress some of these issues, we needed some coming together across professional lines and across issued lines of um, race equality. So that's what promoted me to actually work with an industry that seems to be predominantly white in its norms, values and its approaches to mental disorder in terms of race. Um, so I'm very involved in a variety of organisations that's looking at values in mental health, lived experiences as a, an epistemological framework that has parity with clinical practice that can begin to challenge these diagnostic frameworks as, as a lived experience for both sides of the industry, for clinicians and for service users, for better shared outcomes and trying to address that with the two major legislations that were, were actually formulated around the Mental Health Act, particularly the Advanced Choice Documents, and also the Use of Forces Act, where there was a responsibility for co-production and examining historical forms of trauma, which are based on racialized um, tensions between black service users and a predominantly white system. And the talk you're going to give at the conference is going to be heard by a range of different people, I guess. It's going to be people with research roles, people who work in mental health services, people with lived experience of mental illness, um, lived experience of trauma and a lot of the kind of painful and uh, discriminated backgrounds that you've described there. What are you planning to talk about? Because it's a, it's a massive topic here that you're involved with. What's your focus going to be? My focus is addressing the complexities of different understandings of mental health and mental disorder across those divisions you've actually mentioned and what the challenges of us as working together towards a truly authentic shared understanding, shared meaning and shared outcomes for, for people who are being assessed inside the system and people assessing that. And that starts from a sharing of sh different types of values and theories how those theories can be kind of like integrated so we have a, a better historical understanding about how we define uh, personality disorder. Um, then it's looking at how we experience the definition and diagnosis on both sides as lived experience, but also as practitioners. So I don't want to get into a polarization or demonization of one group against the other. It's really about how can we achieve a, a much more equitable framework for both groups to come together and how can that be utilised through the new emergent review of the Mental Health Act. I really want to look at um, how personality disorder has been defined historically. I will look at some of the problematic themes in terms of how it's been used from borderline to how it moves into psychosis. I want to, people to feel that we need to deconstruct the reality of what that means when we work together in a mental health framework. And what can we do more positive to actually change the way we actually maybe hold on to labels that lead us to getting access to services and rather than look at how can we more humanistically with compassion address the divisions that are emerging through this diagnosis called personality disorder. But that I want to look at the rationalised theme to this as well. That the way it seems to be affecting one group against another uh, why is it black men are actually more likely to be diagnosed with schizophrenia as opposed to personality disorder? And is there a, uh, an implicit pol political message that schizophrenia leads to more negative outcomes for black men 
as opposed to being diagnosed with a personality disorder. And I also want to then look at how we then kind of deconstruct personality disorder and look at some of the racist implications about behaviours, um, particularly this thing called advanced behaviour disorder that's actually applied to black people, and also the issue of delirium, and also how can we then write new integrated methods and policies and procedures that can be operationalised through the new Mental Health Act. So the Mental Health Act doesn't feel like it's a legal constraint. It has it has humanistic features that apply to the Mental Health Code of Practice, um, the Equalities Act, the um, overlying features around the Use of Forces Act. And lastly, I want to leave it with a really important theme that time for change is the time for us to work in a completely different way. And it doesn't have to be legalised, but there must be some joint humanistic value um, guidelines that bring us together that are going to lead to better outcomes. And also that lived experience have more of an involvement in the diagnostic framework that affects the way they've been treated in those services. There's this, you know, this concept that personality disorders is a diagnosis of exclusion. Um, it's a bin into which we put people who we don't know what to do with, and it excludes them potentially from services. Um, they're too difficult. Let's just give them that diagnosis, and then we won't have to do anything. Um, but what you're saying there about black men being more likely to be diagnosed as schizophrenic or, or psychotic rather than personality disorders, that's an extra kind of layer of discrimination and stigma to add on top of this. Can you say a bit more about that? It's kind of paradoxical because there's some research being done by Liverpool University who are doing a literature audit to find out why is it black men are more likely to be diagnosed with a psychotic um, um, symptoms rather than behaviour symptoms, personality symptoms as well. And there, there may be a hidden political um, implications that black men are perceived as more dangerous, more threatening and more at risk. Um, and this fits the criteria of the more likely to suffer significant harm. So there's more opportunities using a diagnostic framework of schizophrenia to offer different types of treatment interventions, controlling and coercive, um, and also to control them through the, what they call the um, community treatment orders. So there's more likely to be able to control them you don't have that same opportunity with a personality disorder. But when you look at the themes of personality disorder, it's inflicted with such racialized implications in terms of symptoms of being out of reality, conflict of culture, conflict of diversity, um, showing feelings, thoughts and behaviours that, that threaten the, the predominant white norm. Um, so it seems to me there's kind of like, there is more opportunity to actually use that in relation to black men, but that's not taking place. My hypothesis is that um, practitioners are still fixated with the fear of black men as a diagnostic that can be applied to psychosis, i.e. their outer reality. And it fits in very much to the book by um, Littlewood and Litzel when it comes to cultural schizophrenia, when the diagnostic process or the individuals are totally out, out of cultural reality to the people to the excess. Now, what's much more crucially important, that reality then leads to fear, fear of differences. Um, so at the moment now, we've got a mental health system where 
And this is the paradox. And I ask people to reverse the questions. Don't ask me why black men are four times more likely. You need to ask why are white people four times less likely to be diagnosed with um, a psychotic um, label, which is seen as the cancer of mental health work. And, and why are white people more likely to be diagnosed with personality disorder, which is actually perceived as more the less of the cancer and the more ambivalent and the more able to challenge. And it's based upon issues around stress, um, social indications as well. So the other last thing I want to say about this, why it's quite important, is that in both cases, we need to look at how structural institutional racism is affecting black men's experiences in that that travel from the family, which becomes dysfunctional in the eyes of psychosis and psychologists, the dysfunction I experience in the educational system has been educationally subnormal, but violent, and then transfer those labels as, as a cumulative um, impact in the way they get diagnosed with um, schizophrenia rather than personality disorder. And the ironic thing is there is, as I said earlier on, um, We've got to be careful because some people think um, there's an overrepresentation uh, in terms of psychosis. So we need to understand that. Why they're not being diagnosed with personality disorder is a, is a challenge as well. And I think it, there's, there's some racialized polarization within mental health about you know, how white people are perceived and how black people are perceived. And the diagnostic framework has a sort of a, has a racialized um, attachment to that as well. So we need to understand that what's going on in terms of clinicians, in terms of how they're applying this diagnostic framework as well. And in effect, what's missing is the humanistic individualized approach that's taken away from black men to be assessed just as individuals, but they are actually coming under this collective label as black men within the mental health system. Um, so that's why I want to address within the talk for clinicians and wouldn't it be good if we just forgot about the labels and tried to talk to people as human beings and find out what's the best way to support them based upon the changes in the legislation? Can you give me a sense of what you think the priorities are in terms of the questions that really need answering and how we can actually improve frontline services, as you're saying there, to actually connect with people and help people in the ways that they need to be helped? What do you think we can do? I think that the most important thing, we need to um, get rid of the definition of mental disorder as a central preface for where people are defined. And we, used to, we need to use a social care model where we're, looking, we're assessing your mental health needs. So we're looking at a needs-led approach as opposed to a service-led approach. Um, secondly, I think we need to move away from... Uh, a commission of services that's lead to racialized outcomes in that there are less services that fit the needs of black men in the community than there is for the right community. So if you take that to its logical end, black men are more likely to be sectioned under the Mental Health Act because they're not the culturally relevant services that are taking place as well. Um, thirdly, and this is a really radical thing, we must encourage people at the primary healthcare setting, early intervention, to think much more radically about how they support people um, with so-called mental health-related difficulties. And, and we'll get back to what I called Fanon's notion of a community involvement, um, using the community services to support people. And, and this is not what I mean. I'm really concerned that 
people with lived experience are actually replicating the mental health system within the community by using things like recovery colleges and crisis CAFs. Um, and also, I'm really concerned about the four-year um, community mental health plan introduced by the National Health Service as well. And so we need a, a radical shift from um, towards preemptive early intervention um, preventive work, which just takes me back to 1976 and Bailey and when we were politicising communities to challenge their diagnosis, challenge their assessments plan, challenge their care plan. That's the individual thing, I think. But then we need to look at some of the themes that have emerged and that need to, to challenge. Now, you said about racism. Mental health, by its definition, is, is a neoliberal um, class-based approach to mental health. And it really depends whether what budgets are available to assess people. So we need to get away from that neoliberal approach to more of a, an equity, a non-commercial privatisation approach to support the needs. And we need to get away, move away to, to places where people can feel safe and have safe spaces to find out who they are, what they need and how could they be supported. And we need to close down some of the mental health hospitals that are modern criminalised prisons in the experience of the lived experience, unfortunately. The Mental Health Act has not radically changed anything in addressing the needs. We still have sectioning under the mental health. That's a complete criminal denial of people's civil rights. You know, We still have treatment plans as opposed to care plans, which means we're still you're fixated with a biomedical, medicalised, neurological approach to solving their problems. Um, you talk about racism within the mental health system. We do need more culturally informed therapeutic approaches for everyone, not just the black community. Because one of the things about the Mental Health Act is um, you can't detain someone unless it's having a therapeutic input. Well, it should also have an economic, political and social input as well. And, and lastly, the principles of the Mental Health Act need to be based upon lived experience. Lived experience needs to be a career structure that has parity with clinicians, with psychiatrists, and they need to be legalised as part of that machinery that represents and advocates for people stopping them from coming into the mental health system, not improving their experiences of the mental health system. It's far too late then. I know people think that I may be too radical, but having been in the system for maybe 47 years, I think there's, there's things that we can achieve across their borderlines. It's really about... What does our political alliance lead us to? Is it about the civil rights of the individual? Or is it about maintaining a system, uh, a bureaucracy, a type of an informal culture that's kind of like leading to us to being cultural dopes about what's taking place in mental health practice? And you spoke there about the culturally relevant services for racialized people. Do you think they exist, but we're just not doing them? Or do you think we actually need to co-produce those so that we've got totally new approaches? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think this is what I say to people quite a lot, is that if we're going to co-produce them, we need a political model to co-production in which service users and people with lived experience or people from racialised, marginalised communities need to do a couple of things. Firstly, something I wrote a paper on, you've got to dismantle what took place in the pre-production stage, you know, how systems are set up, how procedures are set up, how the diagnostic work is framed before you can go to co-production. Because if you don't do that, 
Them systems then invade the co-production space. It mythologizes something around equality and parity. And practitioners need to look at what took place, what power it gives them, how it can quite easily lead to abuse of power. And some of those things need to be dismantled, replaced, changed, and so service users have more faith in co-production. Going on to some of the things around, I've got to be very careful of what I say about cultural competencies because cultural competency is not just the individual, it's the system in which they work and it's also the diagnostic framework because there's something culturally incompetent with our diagnostic framework that's leading to these outcomes. And so it's not really about having more black people there, it's having the right people have inside the value to look at this diagnostics framework has racialized implications and also is leading to racism in the way we are actually activating a mental health system that needs to be changed as well. We need to look at an Afrocentric approach to mental health that incorporates the Afrocentric perspective, similar to the gender, the LGBT2 experience and the disability experience as well. I think, and ultimately, for me, um, that we should, should capture co-production, not in terms of service provision, but at every stage of the life of someone with lived experience. So it should be activated in terms of the assessment under one, under section two, three, or one, three, six. It should be activated in relation to the care plan as well. Um, cultural competency should be about not just the cultural competency of the practitioner but the cultural competency of the organisation to be truly anti-racist, to to lead to real equality and to look at the disparities that operate in the system between white communities and black communities and between men and women. Now, lots of people now are looking at system changes, which we've had for quite a long time. The mental health system has changed since 1655 when people diagnosed people with with, um, depomania. And it's still taking place in 2022, where, where black men cumulatively over those 400 years are still being misrepresented and overrepresented in the system. So the most radical thing is that we may have to dismantle the system, um, and we may have to actually challenge historical things that we have attached to and actually implicitly and unconsciously do not see how they operate in our practice. Um, and I think the lived experience can do that if it is informed from a theoretical perspective and an ideological perspective and empowerment and true equality. But, you know, I've been trying to do this for 40 years. Um, I think the Mental Health Act is becoming more medicalised and more legalised and less about empowerment. Um, and I think co-production, for me, the last thing I would say, if co-production stops us from doing those changes, we need a, a different type of word. Because it's it's kind of it's, it's assuming that there's some sort of uh, um, there's some sort of power given to service users to change to change how they're being treated, and it's not. It, it actually creates an illusion that we can only be trusted if it doesn't really radically change the system and the diagnostic framework. Let's say I'm a recently qualified white female middle-class psychotherapist um, and I'm working with racialized people in my in my therapy sessions and I want to improve what I do just on an individual basis and I'm excited by what you're saying I'm inspired by what you're saying what are the next steps so your question because something that 
um, my son went through, he went for two years because a lot of the white female therapists who were middle class were too scared to work with him. And it's happened to me as well. Um, so I would look back at my training and look at what, is there anything in my training that prepared me for this mammoth challenge or racing working across the color line? So secondly, I'll have a self-reflective um, brainstorm about, I'm really being honest about what are my triggers, fears, trepidation, insecurity, lack of knowledge um, about working with this group or group of people. I would ask them to clearly understand what you mean by racialized because it's one of the most overused terms in mental health. And the person who talked about it, that racialization is the process where we come together and give meaning to race. You know, so there's a process of which this pe people who are working as, in, uh, as counselors, psychologists, need to know how am I giving meaning to race and racialization, culturally, biologically, but also in my interactions as well. Secondly, I need to then reflect on what models am I using when I'm working with people who are different to me? And does the model that I use, is it Eurocentric or does that Eurocentric, can it be truly transcultural in actually moving across and entering people's experiences and give them confidence that I can be heard as well? And lastly, am I truly able to do this? I may have the competencies, but do I have the capacity to actually really work in the interface with that? And also, lastly, I may have to check my own whiteness. And this is very difficult because white people are never asked to think about, to reflect, to acknowledge what it is to be white. Right? But what is it to be white when they are working in diversity? And what am I asking that person to do in, in that moment is to actually contain your notions of whiteness to the individual level and forget about all the political structure issues that affect my life. And if you are to be a truly good counsellor or psychotherapist, you need to understand the structural impacts, the historical trauma that I'm bringing to the session that I'm articulating to you and have some idea of that. And this is, ironically, this is the, the central challenge of the Use of Forces Act. You know, can practitioners really understand historical trauma and when it becomes racialized? And, and thirdly, if I can't do it, should I be working in this area? I'm sorry about that. Um, am I going to damage somebody? Am I actually going to control somebody? Am I going to contribute to the, 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 the developmental lack, lack of trust as well? But be positive, to be positive, if I'm prepared to do that work, you will be an outstanding practitioner because you will be able to understand your limitations and liabilities and be able to actually start working that through the co-production lived experience model. Thank you.